Welcome to the Parlay Podcast, a thought-provoking and entertaining podcast that breaks down the pathology of speech, language, and other processes that affect the way we communicate on a daily basis. Professor of Speech and Language Pathology, Chantal Mayer-Crittenden, hosts a bevy of guests who help her explore and explain the diverse landscape of speech, language, and their relationship with the brain. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Chantal Mayer Crittenden, the host of the Parlay podcast. Well, here we are already. Episode 16 of season two. Uh, Time flies even throughout this pandemic. I've had the privilege of recording episodes. Uh, It's actually kind of uh, a nice break from all of the chaos and, and everything that's going on. So I definitely enjoy these um, these recordings. So today I have three guests with me, which is a never before heard event on the podcast. And we're going to talk about the um, Dolly Parton Imagination Library. And if you don't know about this, don't worry, you're not alone. <laughs> uh, I didn't know a whole lot about it either. And that's why I thought that this would be a great topic to bring to the Parlay podcast. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guests. Um, I have Jan Smitchuk. She is the Canada Director for the Dollywood Foundation of Canada. Hi, Jan. Hi, how are you today? Great. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Of course, we are uh, all by Zoom. We are not uh, sitting around the same table, although that would have been much better. Um, So Jan serves as the Canadian Regional Director for the Dollywood Foundation of Canada. In that role, she leads the Canadian expansion of Dolly Parton's Imagination Library to ensure that more children are better prepared to begin kindergarten. And after a successful career in the private sector, Jan joined the foundation in 2015. And she also volunteered for several years with the local affiliate of the Imagination Library, Kids Can Fly, in Brantford, Ontario. Uh, Jan has always had a personal passion for children and helping them succeed, along with a fascination of early brain development. She's a longtime resident of Brantford, where she and her husband, Keith, have raised four children. Jan has been involved in the community for many years, especially relating to children. So welcome to the podcast. And next we have Chaya Kulkarni. Hi, Chaya. Hello. Uh, So Dr. Chaya Kulkarni is currently the Director of Infant Mental Health Promotion, IMHP, at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. And IMHP is a community-based coalition of individuals and professional agencies dedicated to promoting optimal mental health outcomes for infants of the first three years of life. Uh, Now, Dr. Kulkarni is also on the North American Book Selection Committee for the Dolly Parton Imagination Mm -hmm. Library. And, you know, she was explaining to me before we started recording that this is a process that really looks at uh, or or takes into account a lot of aspects of early child development. Um, And and she really brings in that focus, that expertise of early child development, but especially of uh, early mental health. Um, Welcome to the podcast. We're very, I'm very happy to have you here. And um, last but not least, I have Angela Nelia. She is a speech and language pathologist with more than 18 years. When I was uh, looking over your bio, Angela, we must have graduated right around the same time because (laughs) that's what my bio says too, about a little over 18 years experience. Um, So she has a speech language pathologist for the Jeffrey Peel Catholic District School Board and as well as in private practice. 
She's actively participated in the Ontario Association of Speech Language Pathologists and Audiologists School Services Committee. So the association, um, the acronym is OSLA. She's also participated in the OSLA Lobby Days at Queen's Park, and she's a board member of OSLA. She regularly serves as a clinical educator for both speech language pathology and communication disorder assistant students. And Angela holds an honors BA and an MA from the University of Toronto, as well as an MSc in speech language pathology from the University of Western Ontario. She is passionate about literacy, obviously, that's why she's here. And she's presently trying to start Imagination Library in Mississauga together with Jan, who I just mentioned is the regional director for um, the Dollywood Imagination Library. So welcome to all three of you. And um, like I said, uh, you know, there's there's four of us on this recording. So for our listeners out there, we're going to do our best to not jump over each other. But uh, like I said, we are on a Zoom call. So um, there may be moments where we do interrupt each other, but that's just part of life as it is now. Okay, so Jan, maybe you can tell us what is the Imagination Library? We've been talking about this in the introduction and since the, you know, since I started talking, but what is it exactly? Um, well, first of all, thank you, Chantelle, for having us here and for this opportunity to talk about Dolly and her books. Um, so basically, the Dolly Parton Imagination Library is a um, book gifting program where we mail a high quality age appropriate book to children who are registered in the program from birth until age five, no matter a family's income, um, once a month. So <clears throat> Dolly started the program as a gift to her hometown in Tennessee to share her love of reading. She grew up very, very poor uh, with 11 brothers and sisters. Her father could not read or write. And this was the true inspiration to give books to children. So once Dolly started the program in her county, the word spread across Tennessee, and she created a foundation to be able to replicate the program, not only in Tennessee, but now in all throughout the United States, Canada, Australia, UK, and then last year in Ireland. So we're very grateful that Dolly has um, given us this program. And in Canada, we have... Um, partnerships all throughout Canada from Whitehorse in the Yukon to Kenora to Grand Manan Island in New Brunswick. And so this is all possible because she had the vision, Dolly had the vision to create lifelong readers to, that would be inspired to learn and to dream. Um, so we partner with local organizations, provincial or national, who share this vision and goal to create lifelong readers and inspire lo the love of reading. Um, so the affiliate covers the cost of the book and the mailing and register the, the children into our, our secure database and promote the program in their community. <clears throat> uh, the foundation then handles all the rest of the fulfillment, uh, the, the database and the expenses. Uh, in Canada, we have 277 partnerships across Canada. Uh, we're in nine provinces and three territories, all three territories. Uh, yes, we are missing uh, Labrador, uh, Newfoundland, Labrador, but uh, we're working hard to get there. So that's great. Um, so currently we have uh, 26,000 children receiving books every month across Canada. We've mailed over 1.5 million books in Canada alone and over 148 million worldwide. That's amazing. Wow. When you talk about those numbers and, and all of the countries that are involved, it's, I mean, 
we are very thankful to Dolly for, for getting this started 25 years ago. Um, I, and when you were talking about how it works, there's actually a nice figure that shows how um, the organization the, the, by country, by region is involved and then how the foundation is involved. So I'll be sure to add that figure on the show notes at the Parlay podcast. And also Perfect. if anybody wants more information, they can just go to imaginationlibrary.com and I will also put that link on the show notes of the podcast. So thanks, Jan, for that uh, very thorough explanation of what it is. So many people have never heard of this. So I'm really happy to be, uh, to have the opportunity to, to share this with um, the listeners. Now, how did you become involved in all of this? Uh, so I um, was involved with a local organization here in Brantford, Ontario, um, called Kids Can Fly. And the organization did a lot of, uh, still continues to do a lot of early childhood um, development programming within the community, uh, parent drop-in centers. They also run the Roots of Empathy programs within the schools, um, <clears throat> so the Rotary Club actually had um, seen Dolly at a conference in Tennessee, or sorry, in Montreal, uh, international conference, and she spoke about the Imagination Library. So they came back and they made a pitch to this organization to say, you know, do you um, want to partner with us? We'll help with the funding for the first three years if you do the administrative part of it. So <clears throat> it was pretty much a no-brainer. That, uh, you know, we're going to get books to children. So that's how we started in Brantford 10 years ago. So I was a volunteer in that case. Um, each, each, every other year, there is a conference in Tennessee, in Dolly's hometown of Pigeon Forge, uh, called Homecoming. So it's where people from all over the world that are involved with the Imagination Library could be an affiliate, could be a sponsor, could be a researcher, come together to hear more about the program. So within the first year or two, we went down to Tennessee for this conference. And um, ever since then, I've been hooked. Um, but uh um, and then five years ago, five and a half years ago, they were looking to expand the program in Canada. And uh, the president at the time, uh, David Dodson, was up in Canada. And we were at different meetings. And he said, I think we really need to expand Canada and have some focus in uh, Ontario, particularly. And I said, I'll quit my job tomorrow if you hire me. And he said, okay. So that was my job interview on the way wow. to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very happy that you are so passionate about this and that mm -hmm. it is in Canada and, you know, coast to coast. So we're very lucky. And uh, I, I'm also very excited about this and starting to think to myself, hmm, how can I bring this to, to our area here in Northern Ontario? Yes, uh, I see Chaya has something to add. Yeah, I just, I wanted to add that uh, when I first started with the Imagination Library and I I remember going to my, my first meeting and thinking that we were going to be looking at sort of, you know, the end run of books, books that publishers couldn't get rid of uh, or had overstocked. And I was just shocked and elated to see that it was exactly the opposite. These are typically award-winning books. And, um, and not to, to uh, take Jeannie's uh, yeah, um, <laughs> story uh, away from her, but I think it's Im important to know that um, in North America, the Imagination Library, I, I think, Jeannie, Jan is Pearson's or um, 
biggest customer. We're the biggest customer for the publisher. That's how many books get distributed. And the quality of those books is amazing. And my kids are older now, but boy, oh boy, if I had access to this collection, I would be thrilled. So I just wanted to mention that, you know, that these aren't just any books that we look at. These sometimes we're we're actually not even looking at the books because they haven't gone, they haven't hit the press mm-hmm. yet. Oh wow. And so sometimes we even have the chance to recommend changes uh, to the layout or to the, you know, some part of the story. So it's, it, it is quite an amazing process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We do have a contract with Penguin or a partnership. Penguin Random House and Penguin Random House Canada. So we're really excited about that. And over the course of the last four years or so, um, we've really um, strengthened that partnership with Penguin Random House Canada. So in the in the in the total books each year, the book selection committee selects sixty books because each child will get a different book based on their age level. And uh, the books are um, chosen and then developmentally grow with the child. So now we've gone and we've got uh, uh, 43 of the possible 60 books are now from the Canadian Publishing House. So we're really excited about that. We have our first Indigenous author this year in the program, which has been something that um, people across Canada, uh, we have 277 partnerships across Canada um, throughout every province and every territory, except Newfoundland. So if anybody from Newfoundland... (laughs) and wants to start a program, call me. Um, but um, so really excited about those partnerships. But probably um, 185 of them um, are in Indigenous communities. So mm-hmm. whether um, be First Nations or... Uh, so, you know, it's really important for us to show and reflect all types of Canadians in our library. And that's something that we really work towards. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right, so we heard about a little bit about yourself. Um, how about, Chaya, how did you get involved with, uh, with the Imagination Library? Yeah, so at the time, um, the organization I was working for, which was a national charity that, that was focused on children zero to five, was actually the um, partner in Canada. Uh, Jan's organization has taken over that role. Uh, but that was initially how I became involved. And then when I moved over to the hospital for sick children, um, the Imagination Library folks asked if I would continue in my role. And I, you know, I have to say, it's like I look forward to May every single year because that's usually when we go to Tennessee and uh, I get to read children's books for three straight days. <laughs> yeah, that would be wonderful, especially after the, the type of material that you read prior to that in your daily job. I'm sure it's it's quite nice to... To live in that fantasy and imaginative world for a few days. It really is, yeah. So And so I've been um, continuing with that role ever since. Uh, I realized when you were asking me how long, I mm-hmm. had not realized how long I had been doing this for. So, you know, it's probably upwards of 12 or 13 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel that way at all. And the collection just keeps getting better and better every year. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that speaks to the the importance or, or the value of this foundation. If you've been involved for so long, it's because it's something that's that you truly believe in and that you you know is is of quality yeah. and, and great. Yeah. All right, Angela. 
What, uh, what, how did you get involved in, in the Imagination Library and all of this as a speech and language pathologist? I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Jan, I didn't tell you the story, actually. No. <laughs> and I, I did admit to Jan just a little earlier that I actually didn't know about Imagination Library until this, I guess, till this spring. So, so really what happened was, and this is, you know, kind of a, a tragic thing to bring up, but it really was around the time that George Floyd died. And, you know, the voice of Black Lives Matter really became really loud. And so myself and some of my colleagues were kind of trying to reflect on what could we do in our own practice to, um, to address racial inequality. And so one of the things, one of the little things that I thought that I could do would be to, to look at the books that I use in treatment, because I'm, I'm a school-based clinician, so um, I'm always using books. And so, you know, and I started to, to reflect on the books that I use and, you know, how could I improve the, the diversity that's, that you see in the books that I use. And a colleague of mine, um, Doris Marcon, uh, recommended a Facebook chat of all things, um, hosted by I think it was Ashley Rossi, a speech language pathologist in the States. And her guest speaker was um, Professor Lakeisha Johnson. And it really was about, it was going to address diversity in, in literature and, you know, how we could improve our practice. And so I thought, well, this sounds perfect. So I, I sat in on the, or listened to the Facebook chat and it was fantastic. And so Professor Lakeisha Johnson, who actually has an appointment, I think, with the Florida Center for Reading Research, she listed off a whole bunch of resources and she listed off Imagination Library. And I thought, what is that? Like, it sounds fantastic. So, um, so after the Facebook chat, I, I looked it up and I'm like, well, we must have it in Mississauga. So, you know, let me look this up. No, we didn't have it in Mississauga. And then I'm like, well, Brampton must have it. So I looked it up and no, Brampton doesn't have it. So um, I even looked at Vaughn. So, <laughs> so I thought, wow, you know, this is so, this is so great if we could get this program here. So um, I think on your website, I think it mentions that if you're interested in getting this program mm -hmm. into your community that to contact Jan, mm -hmm. which I did. And then we, you know, touched base. And so we're trying to get it into Mississauga right now. We have some interest from private sector and we're still waiting to hear from the Mississauga library system, but um, I'm hopeful that we can get it started. Yeah. That's a great story. And I think it's, it can be used as an inspiration for many others who are possibly hearing about the Imagination Library for the first time and think, wow, maybe we should have this in our community. I know that we don't have it here in Sudbury. Well, at least I don't think so. I looked it up too and I didn't find anything. Um, and a lot of remote communities in Northern Ontario probably could really benefit from, from such a, a resource. So, um, and Jan, you might be getting a lot of emails in the next uh, <laughs> few weeks. <Hope> so. <laughs> exactly. I guess the reason why I'm particularly interested in Imagination Library and kind of its connection to, um, you know, the movement of Black Lives Matter is that I think that by having Imagination Library in your community and, and surrounding communities, you can maybe level the playing field uh -huh. so that when children start school, um, their schema is, is better developed, right? So, um, you know, so 
all the children are coming with some background experience with, you know, some of these classic books or, or new books, and, and they're better able to comprehend the, the literature that teachers are presenting them. So that's mm-hmm. why I was thinking that, um, you know, there is a kind of a connection between them. Mm-hmm. For sure. And if there are parents listening or even children, or teachers or early childhood educators, um, you know, reading and early childhood literacy is so important. So much research has been conducted on early childhood literacy and links to future school achievement. And so um, for children zero to five, some of them don't have books in the house. And just the ability to manipulate a book and know how to turn the pages and to recognize that there's print on the book and that there's a title and that there are paragraphs and spaces between words and all of those concepts that we kind of take for granted that's what children are learning early on when, when they're exposed to books in the house, even though even if they're putting them in their mouths when they're really young, they're still playing with books, which is so important. Like you said, Angela, a lot of kids just don't have uh, the, the luxury of exploring books. Now, um, how do children call, qualify for this program? Well, that's the really cool thing about this program is that it is a universal program. So when we do go into a community, it's all based on postal codes. So uh, the affiliate, we call them affiliates, uh, would decide what coverage area that they're going to cover. So if they come to Sudbury, they're going to cover all of Sudbury. A program in Hamilton, Ontario started out in just the L8L uh, area, again, based on funding and what was available. Um, And then any child under five uh, would be eligible to be in the program. Uh, Dolly was is very insistent on this uh, in the program. She used to receive a poor box when she was young, and there was always some stigma attached to that. She says, "I didn't even know I was poor until I got that poor box." Right? So yeah. <laughs> important that there's no stigma attached, and and like you said, that that everybody then in the community can come to kindergarten with that same experience, knowing the little engine that could or that connector uh, with that book. So that's so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So one question that I always ask my guests, and I'm really curious to, to hear about what, what you're going to say, um, is what does communication, and, and when I talk about communication, I talk about oral communication, written communication. What does it mean to all of you? And I'll let you decide who, who wants to jump in first. Okay, so uh, it's Chaya speaking, and uh, I, I would love to tackle this because I think there are some pieces of science that I want your listeners to, to tuck away and remember every time they're with a young child and the opportunity that that presents. So the first one is that in a young child's brain, every second from birth to the age of three, there are one million connections being made between brain cells. One million. Every interaction that child has will either connect create more connections between brain cells or strengthen the connections that are already there. Okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing has to do with plasticity and a young child's brain during those early years is like a piece of Play-Doh. It's very, very plastic. So it's super easy to influence those connections right? So a child who's, who's being read to often is going to have lots of connections around reading and stories, but also have connections 
around the whole pro, the whole experience of sharing a book. And that then starts to trickle into what do relationships look like? How does it feel when a, a parent or a caregiver sits with a young child and shares a book? And all of these things are literally changing the shape of a young child's brain, right? Now, this is all really important because the rate of connections slows down after we reach the, the ripe old age of three. So you want to make the most of those first few years, but you also need to remember that the experiences a young child has during those years will have a very decisive impact on the architecture of the brain. So good experiences lead to good connections and strong connections. But you have to remember, poor experiences lead to poor connections, right? And to Angela's point, it can be, it, the imagination library can be an equalizer, right? Because you're putting books into children's homes. I can't imagine the number of kids who, because of this program, are literally picking up a book, walking over to their caregiver and saying, read to me. Right. Um, so all of this collectively can make a huge difference on the shape of a child's brain, on the number of connections and the quality of those connections during those first three years. And all of that is going to have an impact on how children actually do when they hit the school system. Again, to Angela's point, it's crazy that we wait until kids get to school to start thinking if they need a bit more support. Whereas for kids who are in the Imagination Library program, if they're getting books there, being read to at home, it literally can make a measurable difference when they arrive at the school, at the school system. Yeah, it's really amazing when you put it that way, when you're talking about those neuronal connections and all of those pathways that are being created and, and it's so crucial at that stage zero to three and that books can make a huge difference. And like you said, um, books encourage interactions and yeah. interactions encourage communication and it, it kind of just all comes together. So thank yeah, you. It, yeah. It, um, it, it's chai again, and it, it really does all come together. And, and while the focus of the library is definitely around literacy um, in my world, we talk a lot about attachment and reading to a young child actually contributes to the bond between a parent or a caregiver and a child. And, and that is hugely important for mental health, not just in the short term, but in the long term. So the, the library and what the library does, it, 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 it's a domino effect, right? Like it doesn't just have an impact on one thing. It, it has an impact on a whole bunch of things for a child. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's kind of like, so I, I was calling um, this episode reach for the stars because it really allows children to do just that reach for the stars. And, and like you said, it is an equalizer. So thank you. I love how, how you, you really gave a, a broad view <laughs> of all of this. I mean, it's, it's early literacy, it's attachment, it's bonding, it's communication, it's all of that. It's diversity, it's, there's so much. 
Um, how about uh, let's? I, I have Angela next as my uh, on my Zoom. So, what is what is all of this? How does this all tie into communication for you? You know, I'm a speech language pathologist, so communication is everything for me, right? And really, you know, I'm in the school system, so really you have to have strong communication skills to be able to access the curriculum. And when I say the curriculum, I'm not just talking about Ministry of Education um, requirements. I'm talking about even the hidden curriculum, right? Where children have to interact with each other at recess time and to have successful relationships with their peers and the adults in their lives at school. So honestly, communication is everything. Um, So, you know, it's really exciting to think about children coming to school with stronger literacy skills. Because inevitably, if children get books from birth to age five, um, inevitably they will have stronger literacy skills, even just from the point of view of being able to handle the book correctly. Because believe it or not, I see children that can't even do that. Children that maybe have never had exposure to to literature and to books, right? So, um, so and and really, literacy and communication are linked. You can't separate the two. So, you know, if you have strong communication skills, chances are you're going to have stronger literacy skills, and vice versa, right? So, um, yeah, to me, communication is everything. But hey, I'm I'm a speech language pathologist, so <laughs> I'm biased. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. I am too. Yeah. Um, and I always love to, to say that, you know, at an early age, children need to learn language. But after a while, once they, they have these language skills, then they use those language skills to learn. And oftentimes that's done through reading and through, through books. And so they're really interconnected. You can't really <laughs> separate the two. Yeah, I see Chaya has uh, something to say. Go ahead. Yeah, there's a phrase, and let me make sure I get it right. Up until grade three, children learn to read. And after grade three, they read to learn. So when children start, and this is also based on evidence, when children start school already behind their peers, which is the case for nearly 30% of Canadian children, they are already experiencing a delay in at least one domain of development when they register for kindergarten. The likelihood that they're going to catch up, it's slim because schools don't have the resources that they need um, to actually support and provide the kind of resourcing that's going to be needed. Because remember, the brain is no longer creating a million connections every second now. It's slowed down. Like It's all connected, right? So the literacy piece is huge in terms of outcomes for learning and and educational success and even just enjoying going to school like imagine if you couldn't read and your friends are all reading stories like it's a horrible horrible experience for a child yeah absolutely I think we a lot of us take it for granted Jan I'll, I'll go turn to you how does this all tie into communication um, well, I think Chaya says a lot of what I believe communication is too, and Angela too, uh, the connection 
between parents. And I mean, even that the the building of love um, in communication and reading, I think that all of that meshes together during that time. Um, yeah. And really, I think that everything Chaya said is what uh, I have in there. So. Okay. So now if we come back to, to the, the imagination library, something came um, to my mind and I, I want to ask before I forget, what are the available languages? So is it French, English, some of the indigenous languages? I don't know what, what's available. Uh, right now, the, the books are all in English. Um, but as we grow, um, that may change. Uh, in the U.S., they do have some bilingual Spanish books. When we're getting our Canadian books, some of the books are done bilingually. Um, we do have a couple programs in Quebec right now, um, uh, two in Montreal. One is through the Military Resource Family Centre there, and um, another in um, the Notre Dame kind of area. So they are English only, but as we grow and we get bigger um, numbers of people wanting the program, that's something that we definitely look into. Um, as far as Indigenous uh, languages, so far we have not um, done that because it's very regional as well. So it's very difficult to pick that thing. Um, sometimes like the Métis Nation in Alberta is doing the program um, as well as the Métis Nation in Ontario. And they may be doing other other programming or other supplements to be able to bring the children their their language. So and, one day, <laughs> yeah, no, and that's something that I often talk about when I when I teach some of my um, graduate students is that we can still encourage, especially during those early years. Does sometimes it doesn't matter the language of the book? It's just teaching, like Angela was saying how you hold the book and you turn the pages of the book and you can talk about the print and you can talk about the letters and you can talk about that there are words on a book and talk about the pictures. So, so I don't want some parents to feel discouraged if they don't speak English or if they're they, French is the, the language spoken at home or another language. You can still um, participate in this program if it's a program in your community and just use those books um, in a different way. And if you can read English, then you can certainly translate or, you know, there is the sky's the limit. Yes, Chaya, please chime in. Yeah, um, I think that's a really important point. And Jan and I had talked about this when we were getting ready for the, the podcast and the fact that a lot of the books, it, just with the images, a, a parent or a caregiver who maybe um, either, you know, doesn't read in English or has themselves low literacy can easily make up a story. But I also think um, there's a real value in oral storytelling as well. And for some kids, even just having that experience can get them interested then in looking at books and also important in terms of just um, the experience and the relationships. And, uh, you know, oral storytelling is a very strong part of uh, Indigenous culture. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I think it's important to, um, to your point, Chantal, that, yeah, it, it is about storytelling through books, through oral communication, um, lots of ways that we can, we can share stories. Um, it's Angela. Um, in fact, um, speech-language pathologists often recommend that you don't have to read the books word by word. Um, you sometimes will lose your children that way. So if you have a 
rambunctious little toddler who's like, you know, all over the place. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to read it word by word. Um, at some point you may be able to, but initially that's totally fine. But eventually they will work towards that because you're going to engage them more and more with these, with these books from, let's say from imagination library. And actually that's huge because we have a lot of children coming to school in JK age four and they can't attend. But if we work on the skill of attending with reading, we might see some miraculous things by age four. So there's just so many benefits derived from, from what Chaya said is shared reading really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Now, Chaya, that was kind of a, a great tip. And, and Angela, great tips for parents. Are there any other other tips for parents who are interested in this or, or interested in early literacy? Um, what advice would you have for parents at this point or caregivers? So I think the other thing is that stories can be extended, right? Like you might read a book about a character like you know, the ladybug books are a great example, or Llama Llama. Um, and there's always a big debate at the table, of, you know, how many Llama Llama books can we have in the collection? And um, But the story doesn't have to end with the last page of the book, right? And so you could really combine reading, sharing a, a book, a paper experience with a child, with then oral storytelling. And what else could Llama Llama do? Where else could Llama Llama go? What other adventures could Llama Llama have? Um, so I think that, that there's, there's much more to it. And, and some of the books, and I think Jan can speak to this better, actually contain, uh, tips, uh, in them for parents. So, so Jan, I don't know if you want to talk a bit more about that, cause you probably are more familiar with, with that part of the collection. Yeah. Some of the books, um, most of the ones that are published in the U.S., but we're working towards the Canadian as well, have reading tips. So it will be something to do a look for before the book, things to look for while you're reading the book, and then some extended activities. So it does expand the life of the book, which is kind of cool. Um, Penguin Random House also offers a lot of assets on their website that link back to ours um, that parents can <laughs> excuse me, use as well. Perfect. Thank you. Any other tips for parents and caregivers out there who are interested in early literacy or imagination library in general? Yes, Angela. Um, One of the things that I would encourage parents to do, and I wish this was something that I really considered when I was a parent of young children, is um, to check out um, various websites that recommend books that have diversity. So, for example, um, Professor Lakeisha Johnson has Maya's Book Nook, um, which is, um, I guess, a website or a blog that she has that has great lists of various books that you can get for your children. And so if, you, if it's feasible, I, I highly recommend kind of considering what books you're presenting to your children. You know, I think... Um, I didn't do a terrible job, but I think that, you know, now knowing what's going on around the world, I think I would be a lot more thoughtful about the books that I choose for my children, because I think we need to make sure that um, not only are they seeing themselves reflected in the books, but that they're also seeing other 
types of children reflected in the book. So, um, so I highly recommend checking out Maya's book nook and there's many other web websites now that address this specific issue of diversity in literature. Yeah. I, I, I think also, um, I, I love Angela, the whole issue of like just books that represent, you know, the communities that we live in now and the book committee does spend an awful lot of time, uh, really ensuring that, that the illustrations, um, the experiences that are reflected in the stories do reflect um, the, the diversity uh, of Canada. And I will also say this, you know, there are times, and, and Jan, I think you've been in the room maybe when this has happened, when philosophically we differ from our North American part, like from our U.S. partners. And there will be times when they're very comfortable with a book and I will be like, no, this will not work in Canada. Um, this book is going to have to be replaced in the Canadian collection um, because I don't like some aspect of the book. So I think for, for families, there's a level of, of reassurance in the collection um, that I think, is, I think it's really hard to go to a bookstore and know which book is a good book to bring home for your child. And they're so expensive. Like these are books that would cost you 15 or $20 in a store. And your, your child is getting them at the cost of $3 and 50 cents, hopefully, um, you know, not funded by the parent, but funded by the community. And I think if anything, for your listeners, um, you know, contact him and, and see how you can bring the library to your community. I mean, I'm at my cottage during the pandemic and I'm in the Hastings, Prince Edward County area. And I'm, as we're talking, I'm looking up the Rotary Club out here and I'm like, how come we don't have an imagination library out here? Uh, you know, it really does take, and, and Jan, I think you can really speak to this. It takes one person. And I think, you know, Angela, you're a good example of that, but it takes one person uh, to get the train moving, but it's so worth it. Yeah, I like how you say that, Jan, sorry, I'll come back to you. I like how you, you mentioned that, Chaya, that there's a selection committee that is really looking at every book and deciding whether or not they want to bring this into the collection. And so that kind of takes the onus off of the, the parents or the caregivers. They know that someone's already looked at all of this. And so you, you, know, you know that you've got a book that's coming in that has various aspects that will be covered and, and throughout the year as well. So that's, that's a really important um, thing to keep in mind. Sorry, Jan, go ahead. Uh, I know. I think um, what advice I would give professionals, but, but advice to parents too is um, um, I guess that's the next question down, but okay. So I'll say the first one um, is professionals is to really put the onus back on the, on the parents too, that they are their first teacher. And I don't know if parents really realize that as much um, that, you know, and they're the most influential teacher that they'll ever have. So it's important that professionals or teachers, you know, help parents understand that too, that whatever they do is going to make the biggest impact on them and that parents then will take that, do the reading, do the positive um, reinforcements at home. And I think that's really key. 
Mm-hmm, for sure. And that's kind of a tip for both parents and professionals. So like you said, the next question I usually ask is if you have any advice for professionals. Um, so yeah, we can give advice to the professionals to, to um, tell the parents that they have such a huge role. And at the same time, um, just inform the parents if we're working directly with parents that they, they definitely are the very first uh, model for reading at home in, in early literacy. Thank you. Yes, Jaya. Yeah, I think the other thing I would say to parents um, is put books in that diaper bag, for goodness sakes. Um, you know, Jan knows, and I know she used to travel a lot before all this pandemic was going on as well. The number of times I would be sitting in an airport and I'd see a child having an emotional moment, and, and the first thing the parent hands them is their cell phone. And I'm just shaking my head, right? Because I'm thinking, like, why don't you have a little book in your diaper bag, right? Like, just pull out a book because it can be such a comforting experience. And I think, I think parents sometimes feel they have to have a lot of fancy stuff for their kids. But the reality is a, a good storybook, a good board book for a baby, way more important and way more impactful than any toy you can get from the toy store. Way, way better. Partly because it involves the parent. You can push a toy in front of a kid and say, go play. But with a book, it's an opportunity to share that experience. So I would just really encourage, keep books in the diaper bag, keep some books in the car, um, you know, keep some books in in whatever part of the, the home, the apartment, wherever you are, keep books always available because children start to see that, you know, as an opportunity, maybe even as a comfort for them as well. And that's where you see kids bringing the books to the parents, you know. Um, You know, I think one thing that this whole pandemic and lockdown has really taught us is something is to slow down. And, you know, I had four kids, they're all grown and, um, uh, you know, and I think that when you, you know, you're swimming, you're going to hockey practice, you know, you're crazy. And then they leave and you slow down and you think that was insane. That was just get off that merry-go-round. And um, I think that's the same feeling that I'm getting now, right now, is that everybody's kind of slowed down. Like, I've, I think I've read 35 books this year. I've never read that many books. Um, you know, and I think that parents just need to kind of you know, take that, what, what's happening now and, and really value that time. Yeah. And if, if I can kind of uh, piggyback on that, I think another advice for, for parents is if they're interested in books, like you said, ha- you slow down and you read 35 books. I think when parents read themselves, yes. then they're giving that good model. And it doesn't have to be a, a 400 page novel. It can be anything you know, you're reading. And I, I've gotten, I've gotten to the habit of reading electronic books, but I kind of always make the point of telling my kids, I'm reading a book right now. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not on my phone. I'm on social media. I'm reading <laughs> just because it's easier. I always have it with me. Um, but I do. I good do. Read so they know what books you've read. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, any other tips for, for professionals? What else can we tell them about, about this initiative and, and how to encourage parents to um, encourage reading. 
Well, I think the other thing I would just add, it's Chaya speaking again, is, is that it doesn't matter what language the books are in. Like reading is reading, whether it's, you know, in Punjabi or Mandarin or um, Spanish, it, it really doesn't matter. Reading as an experience is just good for babies, toddlers, preschoolers, and it's super, super, it's like super food for their brains. So um, for, you know, there may be families where English is not the first language. Um, people, I often hear newcomers say, oh, no, no, we're only going to speak English in our home. And it's like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't stop reading in Spanish or whatever your first language is. Um, but for families to really rem remember that it doesn't matter what language and you could pick up any book from the Imagination Library and translate it yourself as you as you go along really. Yeah, I always give the analogy of the iceberg, and this is Jim Cummins' work, it's not my own, but you've got those cognitive underpinnings under the water. And then the tip of the iceberg, those are the different languages, right? So it doesn't really matter. Really what matters is that they've got those good foundational skills under the water, and that's where the bulk of the the knowledge and the skills are found. And so they, they, that, that concept, that, ex, that ex reading experience that you were referring to, Chaya, that's kind of under the water. And the language is, that's, that's just the icing, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Angela, you had something to add. Um, no, I was just going to say probably my greatest advice to parents would be just to, to read, to read to your children, which is what we've been saying all along. Um, but really because... What I see in the school system is that children with strong literacy skills have so many more doors open to them, you know, in school, but even after school, right, in their future. So um, that's probably my biggest tip. The other thing, though, kind of going back to what you were saying, Chantal and, and Chaya, is that, um, you know, with reading, you're developing, and I used that word before, schema. So, and I'm going to define it because not everybody knows what that is. So schema, it's the map we have in our minds about a topic and it's made up of our background knowledge. So the more books, the more pictures you're showing your children in the books, um, the more stories you read to your children, you are developing their schema so that when they start school, they will inevitably have more success. Yes, that background knowledge is so important in terms of understanding what they read, especially as the demands um, increase. Sorry, Jan, go ahead. No, I just, I just kind of sit back every once in a while and I think, how did Dolly know that it was so important, that zero to five? And how did she know what brain development was going on? And how did she know that by putting, giving a child a book, a gift, and, you know, the kids basically forcing the parents to read the book. Um, you know, I have a story where a little guy, the mom used to walk past the mailbox every day to walk the kids to school. And she'd say, not today. And then they'd walk along in the next day. Book. So, um, yeah, but anyway, I just think it's just so amazing that all these pieces come together in, in the Imagination Library program, um, that all, all these check marks um, and impact are making, you know, the, the, the repetition or the, the constant get, getting the ball. Um, Dolly, you had some great insight into this to understand. 
No, I don't know. Some things with going on with my Wi-Fi, but I've just come to accept it. <laughs> so I turn my video off. No, you're right. <laughs> Maybe it was just her her intuition. You know, it, was, it kind of all made sense that her literacy mm-hmm. was kind of the the way to go, and and she just developed a whole program around it. I'm sorry. One of the reasons she did start the program was because her dad could not read or write. So she started the program just in her own hometown in Tennessee um, and just was going to do the program for the children living in that area. Um, and she did start out by a few different um, programs that she started, you know, a buddy system in grade eight. Um, no, actually before that, it was like paying to graduate, you know, giving an award, uh, cash reward if you graduated, then the next one. But she just looked to a lot of different um scientists and people, educators to find out what's going to make the biggest impact. And it just kept going down in Mm -hmm. age. And really that kindergarten age, if, you know, like Chaya said, if they start behind, they generally stay behind. Um, And so that's where that was 25 years ago. They kind of pinpoint on that and have stayed in that lane ever since. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that we did mention on this episode is that the uh, Dolly Parton Imagination Library was founded in 1995. And so it has been around, I guess they're celebrating their 25th this year. So that's uh, pretty special. Now, I usually like to just uh, give some quick resources. So we've already talked about, obviously, imaginationlibrary.com. Anybody who is interested, please go. If you're a parent and you want to know if it's in your community, go check it out. If you are in a community and we want to get this going, um, look at the contact information and, and fire them an email. Um, Angela talked about Maya's book nook. Are there any other resources that I can put on the show notes that might be helpful for parents or, or professionals or whomever is interested in this? Um, well, there's, there's um, three things that I have. Um, so Jim Trellis um, read aloud handbook. I think it's in its eighth edition. Um, It was very influential in me as a young mom reading that book and made me very influential in how I read to my children growing up. So I think that that one's really an important one. Um, There's a new book out called The Enchanted Hour. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that. Megan uh, Quartz Gordon. It's fabulous book. And the other resource and website is the Children's Literacy Foundation. It's a fairly new foundation, but it's linking all different organizations in Canada together uh, that all support early literacy, literacy and early literacy. But they've got a lot of resources and uh, very collaborative across the country. So those are my suggestions. Perfect. Thank you. I'll be sure to share those on the show notes. Any others to add on to that? If you if you think of them after, you can also email them to me and I can just add them to the show notes. I I, I mean, I'm sure there are, there's a plethora of, of uh, resources out there, but sometimes it's some that come. Yeah. All right. Well, we've come to uh, almost a full hour. Um, I think we could talk about this for a long, long time. There is so much that is involved, like we've already said. Some of the things that have kind of stood out, um, you know, uh, the the very first thing that you talked about, Chaya, is the, the million connections that are being created every second from zero to three. That is, that just, how do you even 
comprehend that, <laughs> you know? And so those early years are so important. Um, I like that whole idea of literacy is really building love, building those connections, those um, that bond between caregiver and child. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, until age three, three, a child is learning to read. And after that, they read to learn. Um, I like that schema idea as well, Angela, how children really need all of that background knowledge to then understand what they're reading. Um, and there's so much, um, you know, books really encourage child caregiver interaction and it's not the same as giving them a wind-up toy or a device. It requires that that interaction, which is so important. And I, I like that, what you said, again, Chaya, reading is superfood. For children's brains, you know, it, it really is. And, and there's so many other things. I, I've been jotting notes all along. There's so many things, key messages that you have said. Is there any other take-home messages that, that I haven't covered or that you haven't covered that you'd love to share with our listeners? I think we've covered most. <laughs> well, Thank you. Let me check out my, my questions. Yeah, I think we've covered pretty much everything I wanted to. Um, and if not, we'll have to do uh, round two in a, in a year or so. Uh, it's we'll been, find out how Angela's been doing and getting the Imagination Library and the Saga in a year from now. That's right. Exactly. I have to tell you, I don't know if, I, if you saw, Angela, that uh, PEI went province-wide last week. Oh, um, and uh, they did not want to announce the program until their GM PEI Literacy Alliance is the main, uh, our main partner. Um, but they also got uh, uh, government funding through their Ministry of Education uh, that are covering half the cost. And then their local Rotary Clubs and a lot of other um, uh, funders in the province are making the other half. So they had a goal to hit 2,000 kids the first year. And <clears throat> so... And the funding for 2,000 kids and then 3,000 the next year, 4,000 the next year. And so they, um, the, they announced it at their AGM in the morning on September 30th. Um, we process our books the first of the month for the next month. So the system closes down and anybody that's in the system um, gets the books. So the day before, the premier makes the big announcement that they're launching the Imagination Library. So we kind of guessed that maybe 100 kids would find out about it through their, you know, PEI AGM. Um, and um, then we would work out the, you know, the kinks of um, the coverage area and that sort of thing. We had 2,200 kids register in less than 24 hours. So wow. Over the moon, excited, and just really, really thrilled. And it really goes to show you the demand of the program um, and that parents want this uh, for their children. So now thank we have you to go back for sharing. To funding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing. And we're all kind of clapping here in our own little window yeah. of Zoom. We're really excited. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Chaya Kulkarni, uh, Angela, Nelia, uh, Jan, uh, I don't want to, Smitchuk, I, I didn't want to not pronounce that properly. Thank you. It's been a real privilege to have you on the Parley podcast. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your willingness to share your knowledge, your expertise, and all of this information about the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. 
Um, if any of the listeners have any questions, you can uh, check out the show notes and you can send me an email and I can find out the answer for you. But thank you so much. I appreciate your time and uh, I wish you well. And I hope that you will continue reading and continue the amazing work that you all do. Thank you, Chantel. Thank you so much for having us. This was fabulous. Good luck, Angela. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Thank you. Good night.